Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. According to reports, Newcastle are close to appointing Eddie Howe. Howe, who you'll remember as the former Bournemouth manager, reportedly has reached an agreement in principle on a two-and-a-half-year deal with Newcastle. Earlier this week, we thought former Arsenal boss Unai Emery would be headed to the northeast of England, but he ultimately decided to remain in Spain. We're still awaiting official confirmation of Howe's appointment, but it appears as if that's only a matter of when rather than if. Newcastle interim head coach Graham Jones did say today he'll be taking charge of tomorrow's game. How famously led Bournemouth from the fourth tier of English football to the Premier League over the course of his two stints in charge. He managed to keep Bournemouth in the top flight in four straight seasons, but after they were relegated in 2020, he left the club by mutual consent and hasn't coached since. How also had a spell at Burnley in between his two stints at Bournemouth. Welcome to Premier League Live alongside Robbie Earl and Robbie Musto. I'm Paul Burmeister. Your first reaction here, guys, to the likelihood mm. that Eddie Howe will be named Newcastle manager. I like it. I think it's good business. Um, it is a gamble. But I think anybody who you're going for at this stage of the season to take this job is a gamble. Is it somebody who doesn't know the Premier League? Is it somebody who's out of work? Is it somebody who needs to get back on the roundabout? All that with, with, with Eddie Howe. But he ticks enough of the boxes that Newcastle need, and not least because, and I can tell you, Paul, being a player in, in a dressing room, when you've got a caretaker, an interim manager, it doesn't quite mean as much. It's not quite the same. And there's no accountability around Newcastle at the moment. Ten games already in the season, no wins. If this continues to Christmas, they could be in trouble. All of a sudden, they've got an accountable manager, a young English manager, who one time was being touted as a guy who could be an England national team manager. He's finished ninth with Bournemouth. He's finished 18th with Bournemouth. But more than anything, I think it's his style of play that's important. Steve Bruce was sort of handed out of this football club, not just for results, but the style of football that was played that the fans didn't take to. Eddie Howe will get his team more possession. They'll play in a certain way. And I think it's good business for both Newcastle and Eddie Howe. I'll take that as a yes from this side of the Mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. How about you? It's a yes as well. Um, Not that there's many options. You know, it just isn't. I mean, you know, Emery... Would have been a risk, to Robbie's point. Anybody you bring in at this club would be a risk. What I like about Eddie Howe is that he knows the division, he knows English football. There's three players that he knows from his days at Bournemouth. Callum Wilson uh, certainly being an important part of that. Ryan Fraser, as well as Matt Ritchie, three players that he got the best out of at Bournemouth. Can he do it again? I think he probably can. Um, and, 
and, and he's been in the relegation fights before. Yes, he lost the last one where he left the football club, but he still negotiated a few times to get out of trouble. Now, the style, as you say, I think the fans are going to enjoy that, but there's a risk to that, and he's got to find the right balance. His Bournemouth team was always on the front foot. He's a front uh, foot type of coach, but he's got to think of the defensive side as well. As long as his teams get one more goal, he's happy. But with Newcastle United, they've got some good forward players, but they really struggled defensively. I just wonder and worry a little bit that he doesn't address that enough. And he's more about the way that we play, front foot, attacking football. The fans will like it, but he's got to make sure he gets the points to stay up. You know, Bournemouth, Rob, towards the end, when they were on a bad run and things were going, they're heading towards the bottom of the table. It did look a little bit like Eddie couldn't quite control it, couldn't stop the rot. Is, mm. is that a little bit of worry if things go wrong at Newcastle? Because it's 50,000 fans now. It's, it's a lot more press. It's a lot more spotlight with, with the new ownership. Yeah. This football club. That's the concern. You know, at the time, you look at him like, wow, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't doing much on the sideline. Mm. They got relegated. This is a whole different kettle of fish. Big, big expectation, big fan base. And the pressure, of course, for this club, this great club, with these new owners staying in the division, is, is absolutely immense. And it looks like... Eddie Howe is going to be the man to try and do that. Yeah, in that, it's just one reason it's been a really active week for head coaches, uh, managers in the Premier League. Other big managerial news. On Tuesday, one day after firing Nuno Espirito Santo, Tottenham appointed Antonio Conte as head coach. This will be Conte's second stint in English football. You may recall he spent two years at Chelsea winning the Premier League title in 2017 and the FA Cup in 2018. Conte most recently managed Inter Milan, whom he led to their first league title in 11 years just last season. Conte has joined Spurs on a contract until the summer of 2023 with an option to extend. It has been quite the few months up and down for Tottenham. They drew 2-2 at Everton in April, which turned out to be Jose Mourinho's final game in charge of the club. And only three days later, Mourinho was fired, with Ryan Mason later taking over on an interim basis. Later that week, Mason led Tottenham in the League Cup final, where they lost to Manchester City, extending the club's trophy drought. Then began this long search for a new manager. Tottenham were reportedly interested in several candidates, including former boss Maurizio Pochettino and Conte himself. But they eventually settled on Nuno, who was appointed on June 30th. It was a great start for Nuno. Spurs won their first three games of the season, and he was named Premier League Manager of the Month for August. But then it all fell apart, with Tottenham losing five of their last seven league games, including a 3-0 defeat to Manchester United last weekend. That led to Nuno after just four months in charge being fired on Monday, with Conte coming into replacement. This week, Conte spoke with Spurs TV in his first interview as the Tottenham boss. Coaching philosophy is very simple, to play good football and attractive football for our uh, fans with passion. To have a team stable, not up and down. I think uh, that the fans uh, deserve to, to have a team competitive with the will to fight. For me, the new challenge is Tottenham. I want that to become an important part of my career of, of manager. The stadium, the training ground are, are wonderful. The club, Daniel Levy, wanted me strongly. I think this is a great opportunity, an honor to accept to become the manager. I have seen today the, the training ground and I wanted to, to start to work. I arrive in a, in a top club. This type of situation push you and increase the desire 
to work and uh, to do something important for, uh, for the fans of, uh, of this club. I already mentioned Conte's achievements at both Inter and Chelsea. Before that, he was in charge of Italy's national team, leading his country to the quarterfinals of the 2016 Euros. But he really made his name at Juventus, where he won three league titles in three seasons. Fellas, you've had three days to consider this Conte to Tottenham move. What's your lead feeling about this hire? I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. I think... He knows what it takes to win in the Premier League. He's won as a player himself. He's won at the manage clubs that he's managed, the job that he's done, both with and without money. I will stress, because he did, a, he did an amazing job at Juventus. I think three titles on the spin under him without that, that much money being spent. National team, again, a great job. He is a brilliant coach, no question. This, though, probably is going to be the toughest challenge of his career, to go into a team that has underperformed and it's been on the decline for, for many seasons. The club has desperately needed a reset. Jose Mourinho attempted it, couldn't really pull that off. Now it's a time for a reset. And last chance saloon for many of the players. Now that's, that's the interesting thing for me. We know that he can win and he's a winner. But the squad, we're still not sure about several of them, whether they're good enough to be at Spurs. Is it them? Is it the manager in the past? It's not going to be the manager now. And that's what I'm excited about, is to find answers to questions that we've been throwing around this studio <laughs> for years now. And we're going to find them. Because this guy and the way he does things, it's going to be laborious and, and, and physically demanding the training, but he will guarantee to make them better. His excitement level for this hire, mm-hmm. do you match it? Well... I would say the Spurs players might not match it. I can imagine the WhatsApp group going around and some, <laughs> you know, weepy tears and, and things going on because this guy will sort this football club out. He's got an 18-month contract. Whether he's there after 18 months or not, this club will be better for Antonio Conte going there. And the reason I say that is Spurs have got a soft underbelly. It, mm. it was evident from 2019 Champions League final against Liverpool, two teams like that. Liverpool have gone one way, Spurs have gone the other. We will find out with this guy. He'll wheedle players out. That, that soft underbelly will, will come to the fore. And he won't have it because this guy is a winner, a serial winner. Since 2011, I think it is, only Pep, Pep Guardiola's won more titles than this guy. So he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's got to do to win. From the fans' point of view, I think Spurs fans are going to love this guy. He crowd surfs, he runs up and down the, the touchline, he'll argue with other coaches, he, he's, he's energetic, he's emotional, he, he wants players to win and he'll tell them about it. And so we're going to see a change in this football club. Right now, Spurs have got a great stadium, a great training ground, and they've now got a great manager. What we don't know is, are they a great team? This guy will, will find that out over the next 18 we had, months. We had a quick look at it last night in the uh, Europa Conference League where they were 3-0 up, looked brilliant going forward, the fans were loving it, and then all of a sudden 3-2 defensive mistakes, bad mistakes. Mm. Between him and Fabio Paratici, the new director of football, they've worked together at Juventus. That's another reason to be excited if you're a fan, is that Daniel Levy now, I'm assuming, is going to leave all the football decisions to Paratici and, of course, Antonio Conte. And the two of them... Well, well, I guess they'll gang up on Daniel Levy to release as much money as they can get because they, there will be areas of the team that need upgrading and need improving, and he'll figure that out pretty quickly. One really important issue, Rob, just jumping in there, Paul, Harry Kane, you know, one of the world's best goal scorers, right? One goal, one assist in the Premier League. Nowhere near his game. Obviously, his head's not in the right place since that move to Man City. Can Conte kickstart him? We saw him with Lukaku, I think it was 47 goals, 13 assists in two seasons. He got him going and got him playing the the kind of football we're seeing now. Mm. Can he kickstart Harry in the same way? Well, the the 
just watching him last night and, and the last couple of games, Kane, of course, his head's been all over the place, but his head should be straight now and he still looks sluggish. He looks sluggish last night. So whether it's kind of mentality-wise, arm on the shoulder or, or, or on the training ground, get, get, a little bit. Get, get some fitness into these players, Kane included, he needs to sharpen his game up as many others do. And there's bigger problems than Kane probably when you look at the defensive side of the, of the team, but he is going to get this team cooking. Antonio Conte uh, will start his Premier League part of that title coming up on Sunday. We look forward to seeing that. That's five losses in a row for Dean Smith on the other side. Southampton, three more points. They're now 12th on the table. And look at how they have turned it around. First seven matches, not a single victory in the last four. That is three, including back-to-back wins for the first time, as they have taken 10 of the last 12 possible points. Adam Armstrong, second goal of his season, the one of the day, turned out to be the difference. Adam, well done. Big night for Southampton. Special night for you. Yeah, quality. Um, you know, we knew we had to come into this game and uh, show that we could score goals. I think we could have got more first half. Um, we created some good chances, gotten some good spaces, but you know, one of them, one of them nights where you know we defended brilliantly, uh, second half, and to get the three points is amazing. Got off to the perfect start, didn't you? And a great goal. Did that ball just drop perfectly for you? Yeah, it dropped nice. You know, last week I'm hard on myself. I should have had a few goals last week, but I knew I had to keep coming at this game very positive and. It's one of them where it felt lovely for us and I've uh, hit it nice. Tell us how it felt to see it go in and tell us how it felt to be able to celebrate with the home crowd here. Yeah, it's my first goal at home, so it's a, it's a nice feeling. Fans are brilliant tonight and um, a nice goal for us. How much pressure have you been putting yourself under to get back on the score sheet? Uh, no pressure for me. Uh, it's one of them. You know, I'm, I know I can score goals and it's, it's one of them things where I had a few chances in the last few games, but as a striker, that's, that's football. You know, you got to... You can't get too down on yourself. Um, last season, that's all I've done. I just carried on every game, take every game as it comes, and, and I'll do this this time as well. Still pretty early days, but how have you found the step up so far? Yeah, it's been good. It's been tough. You know, it's the Premier League, the best league in the world, I think. And um, you know, to make that step from the Championship, it's uh, it's, it's always going to be tough. I feel like I've settled in nicely, and um, hopefully, a lot more goals to come. After three wins in the last four games, how much better does the league table look now? Yeah, it looks nice. You know, like I touched on before, we knew we had to get a three points tonight before national break. Um, so we'll rest and recover and um, ready to go again. How much important do you feel that momentum is going into an international break like this? Massive. Um, we knew, like I touched on again, we, we knew we had to get the three points tonight. It's a big three points where we're in the table and it's, um, hopefully it's helped us in the league. Well done on the win. Well done on the goal. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers, mate. Adam, thank you very much indeed. A team that's won three of the last four matches in the Premier League is doing a number of things well. Robbie, what caught your eye today? Aston Villa have a better quality of player, man for man, through the team. Southampton with a better team. Aston Villa huffed and puffed in the the second half and had a go, but they didn't blow uh, Southampton down. One shot on target in the second half, so despite all that possession, all they came. And credit to coaching. You know, it's great to sign big players. It's great to, ha- to have the money. But if you haven't, you have to do it in a different way. Bring in some, some players maybe on loan or young signings like Livermento and Walker-Peters. You know, get good experienced players, Ward-Prowse and Romeo, I thought was excellent in the middle of the park. And have a bit of energy and drive. And they were well set up. They went to three at the back when, when, when Villa came at them in the second half. Lianco went into the centre-back position and again well man- managed by uh, Ralph Hasenhutl. I think he has to take some credit, Hasenhutl, because this team, when you look on paper, 
should be struggling in the Premier League. And to have the form there was 10 points out of the last 12 is um, a mark of how well he does on the training ground to get results. I think in any sport, in any league, if you pay a compliment after a game, Robbie, where you're basically saying the coach is getting his team to overachieve, yeah. that's a pretty strong compliment. It is a very good compliment. And we've seen, God, this has been a roller coaster ride at times at Southampton. They get beaten nine a couple of times and, and everybody thinks, what is this guy doing? Why is he managing our team? But I think, I think throughout, I think he's proved himself as a good manager. Difficult circumstances. And back to your point on today, quick change. 56th minute, he makes this, the tactical change. Given how Villa started in the second half, much more energy from them. He brings another centre-back on. I thought Salasu and, and Jan Budnerik were brilliant, particularly Salasu. When he first came into the team, I saw him last year a lot early on. I wasn't sure whether he's going to be able to, to handle the step up to the Premier League. I thought he was excellent today. And just a strength and a... I have structure about the team that there's belief that they've got something going again. Because Southampton, there's always this feeling of, oh, we sell our best players. What's the future of the football club? But the manager, to be fair to him, has got the, he's turned that around now. There's positive momentum and a really good performance. There's always the other side, and it's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of positive momentum. With Aston Villa, mm. it's now five consecutive losses. Yeah. What do you think it'll mean for Dean Smith? It's five consecutive losses going into an international break. That means another couple of weeks when Villa fans are not happy. We remember this performance. We remember the loss. You know, Dean Smith might take a little bit. They were better second half. They had one shot on target. Ollie, Ollie Watkins didn't have a shot on target, their main striker. And uh, my big question is, how can you start the second half in that manner, but not start the first half. Why, why is that happening with a team that's struggling, with a team that have just lost the last four games? This, this, fo- this football club have got high ambitions, have got owners who want to go on to bigger things and get Europe. And they won't hang around too long if Dean Smith doesn't sort this out. I don't think that they'll sack him right yet. But I'm telling you, the next couple of weeks are going to be key for Dean Smith to get some performances out of this group. You know, sometimes at some football clubs, particularly those who have got a bit of money to spend, mm. there's a quick go-to, let's bring in, let's find a great attacking player, let's, let's bring in wingers, let's spend some money on front players to take us to the next level. And I've seen it a few times now where, hang on a minute, we're not quite ready to go there. Jack Grealish was a brilliant player, they get a huge amount of money and they bring in some good sounding players on paper. They throw the team out there again on paper and like, wow, that looks pretty good. Leon Bailey and, and Ings and Watkins and everybody else, even midfield players that can play, will hang on a minute because if things don't go well and you, you expect to be on the front foot, you expect to be dominating and creating and scoring goals, if those front players, for whatever reason, don't quite kick off as, as, as well as you think, then you're on the back, back foot. And those same players are often not the ones to start games like this really well. And defensively, you're not quite as strong as what you would have been. And the offense really failed them once again in this five-game slide. Only one time have they scored more than one goal, and today shut out 1-0. Even though the second half wasn't brilliant from United in terms of they didn't score a goal, they didn't even look like they were going to score a goal, Tactically, system-wise, did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer get it wrong from the start and then didn't change it early enough? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the truth of it, Rebecca. Um, I, think, I think most people expected the three at the back. We were all a little bit fearful. We did a little tactic session before the game of what might happen with that and the full-backs that are so spare. Could he have changed it in the middle of the first half? Yes, he could. That's where the damage happened. United dismantled. Just the class differences was incredible. Top four now. For Man United, top four. You know, thinking of last season where they were second place, it's tough to get worse when you sign Sancho, Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo. And somehow, Man United now look a, worse, a much worse team than last season. Rob? 
Well, you, you look at Manchester United today, Rebecca, and I'm just wondering what Manchester United fans think. Well, we slowed City down second half. We didn't concede a goal. So do you take any comfort from that? Because actually, when you look with your eyes at the football, they got dismantled 5-0 against Liverpool. They got played to death 2-0 defeat against Manchester City today. And we thought at the start of the season, this is a four-horse race. The other three teams are playing at a different level to this team, Rebecca. They're not in a title race. And that's the most damning thing we've said after 11 games. Manchester United are not in the title race this season. And it's so interesting because there were some boos at half-time and full-time, but also some applauding of Solskjaer as he walks off. I mean, the expectation levels are so low at United. I I don't know if it's that. I think there's so much respect for Ole Solskjaer as a human being Mm. and a legend of the club that they don't want to... And to be fair to Man United fans, it's not often you hear tons of booing and, no. and you don't know what you're doing. They generally stick behind their manager. I remember Alex Ferguson, when he left, was saying, you've got to get behind. Mm. Moise was at that time. They generally do that. It's just painfully obvious mm. to the most ardent Man United fan that they need a new direction and rebuilding in a, in a diff, with a different person in charge. Similar story. Mm. On, just when, when the game was up for balance, Rebecca, at the start of the game, the first 15, 20 minutes when the, the, the tone is set... One team were well coached, grooved and winning the ball and the other team couldn't get near the ball. And that's the problem Manchester United have. That's the bottom line of it. Let's take you back to Arlo Lee and Graham for their final thoughts. Gentlemen, over to you. Well, Rebecca, a few United fans defiantly waiting in the Stretford end. I'm not sure why, because the City fans are having a nice time down to our left-hand side after a a relatively routine 2-0 win. You're happy with the, the back three or the back five but not so how it was employed. Yeah, I, I think the way, they, the, the way they played against Tottenham, they needed to shore up that defence, and the back three was the only way to do it, and they, they looked more comfortable. Today, it could have worked for them if they'd engaged. We said from the beginning of the game, during the game, they've got to engage. They can't feel secure in having five people standing in a line on the edge of their own penalty area, mm. particularly against a team like City. So actually changing the system to the four... I think put a few people in the right positions but fundamentally that's the problem with them they've got square pegs in round holes they haven't got an identity they don't either play aggressive counter-attacking football or aggressive dominant football and if the players and don't know that then they've got no chance because they can't all sign up to the same terms and conditions <laughs> of how to win a, this particular football match I, I think it's easy to say after the event I didn't think the back three was the right thing or the back five before the game you see how it pans out. You know City are going to play wide. You know they, they emphasise that by keeping them wide. I think blatantly obvious after about 10 seconds of the game, mm. we should have changed the system. I, I, I honestly think we should have gone to a four straight away. The, the trouble is you don't want to make a substitution that early, but they were getting hammered in midfield. Mm. You've got to change something. They had three centre-backs doing nothing. So change the system. Can you put a midfield, uh, Can you put Lindelof in front of them and just close it up a little bit? You've still got to have... have players on the wide areas to stop City but it was obviously should have changed it before half time and, and Ollie's made a mistake there and he's paid the price Man City are full of superstars as we send it back to Rebecca Joao Cancelo if he carries on like this is going to be in the talk for the big awards at the end of the season what a fine footballer he is <laughs> Mr Dixon Senior is going to be happy big City fan isn't he Lee <laughs> Rebecca back to you Pep we just spoke to an understandably delighted Phil Foden he felt that your teams, they played the game of their lives. What would you say? He said? They played the game of their lives. <laughs> more to come. He's so young. We would play more games of their life. Uh, yeah, for our, you know, the city blues. Uh, so we know all of us how important it is. 
Yeah, we had here in, in, in Old Trafford always made a good, good performance and in general since we are together and we won many times, much more than Eddie at the stadium. Uh, yeah, solid performance and a good game, uh, deserved victory and, uh, sorry, and uh, yeah, three more points. Oli, just how a chastening and horrible experience was that? Uh, very difficult to to talk now, of course, because uh, we uh, we started the game off badly, of course, passive, and um, when they get the first goal, uh, it was always going to be well, it was always going to be a difficult game anyway. But uh, of course, being one nil down was was hard. David kept us in the game, uh, some some good stops, and then they scored the goals they always score. Uh, Cancelo cuts inside, cross back stick. That we know that's going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. You said we were so passive today. We spoke beforehand. The message was be on the front foot. We've got to get after them. What happened? Yes. Well, they played well. Of course, they they don't give you opportunities to uh, to uh, win the ball off them. So some praise got to go to them as well. But of course, we were we were not at our level uh, and standard. Uh, they they need to be raised. Particularly after the first goal, was there a nervousness about your players? A lack of confidence? Did that show? Yeah, I, I think we, uh, I think the whole place uh, went a little bit. Um, uh, of course, you, you're disappointed with the first goal, but we didn't play well uh, up until then either, because we still don't trust ourselves with the ball. We still don't pass the ball as well as I know they can. So, um, and we don't find the angles and. Uh, Sometimes that is also the team you play against. As I say, they they do press really well and they made it hard for us. But we um, we sometimes made the wrong solution. Sometimes the right solution, but not the right execution. The post-match thoughts there of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Robbie Musto. But he doesn't he doesn't look like he's got many answers. No, I mean it's the same things there that he can actually affect. You know, the passing out is difficult against, against Man City, but you can switch things. You can you know, put players in certain spots to stop what City was doing to them. Yeah, it's right. And Robbie made the point, like, if you don't pass the ball, keep the ball, then City will have it and they'll, they'll hurt you with it. I mean, it just obviously seems very down there. In some ways, it's not, it's not his fault. He's, he's not equipped, in my opinion, to, to handle things like today. He, he looks subdued there, Rebecca. That's the most subdued I've ever seen him, you know, talking about we don't trust ourselves with the ball. And as Robbie's talked about, you see Antonio, uh, Antonio Conte going into Spurs and you know what things are going to happen. As, as Robbie said, you know, training will change, attitude will change. You see, Ollie, you're not quite sure what's going to change. You know, they've got beaten by the, lo- the biggest rivals in the local derby, 2-0, got outplayed. And I'm not sure much else is going to change. He keeps his job? Yeah, he keeps yeah. his job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I imagine, Thomas, there's a whole lot of frustration from you right now because you had enough chances to win two games, didn't you? Yeah, actually it's like this. So it's not so much frustration because I'm impressed and very happy with the performance. It was our seventh game in a row. To step up like this from the first to the last minute uh, showed the character and the quality of the team. I'm very, very happy how we played, how we created chances. If you play Burnley, you need to do a lot of invisible work. You need to be very, very alert, very concentration, never lose focus. You need to work hard up front to not allow uh, the balls come into your box. We did everything right. Instead of scoring, we could have uh, scored the second one, third one. Uh, second one would have uh, closed the game. 
and we left the door open. That's why it can happen sometimes in football. It's not deserved. It's lucky, but okay, it's it 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 can happen in football. Maybe only in football, and that's why everybody loves the game. But did you did you sense that that was? coming. I mean, your team had had so many chances, but it um, didn't look like Burnley were going to damage you. No, didn't look like it. We were like, like I said, we were tough. We were always on the front foot. We were defending high. The two minutes, maybe it was only one minute before the goal where we couldn't, could not put pressure on them and had like two, three chances. I felt like, hey, what's going on? Why is this in the moment like this? I, I, I did not understand it. Maybe there was even no reason, but it was the only minute or two minutes where we felt like hey, uh, it's too easy now for them to cross into our box and for this one split of a second we lost the concentration on, on the second post what we did the whole match uh, very very good yeah and got punished uh, listen I mean we had so many chances that you're, you're always like on, on the edge if you don't score the second one uh, could not uh, could not keep a clean sheet today yeah we, it, you can defend any goal later in the in the in the in the video session. Today it was not possible, and, and we need to accept it. And um, that's the way it is sometimes. Now, yesterday, if you were watching the end of the show, it all got quite dramatic. With about five seconds before we came off air on NBC, I was told in my ear that Daniel Farker had been. Fired. So we didn't have time to talk about it yesterday. This is our first chance, chaps, mm-hmm. to talk about this. I just want to put everybody in the picture. Now, on October the 28th, what, 10 days ago, the sporting director of Norwich City, Stuart Webber, was asked about the future of Daniel Farker, and he was absolutely unequivocal. He said, I and the club are 100% behind him. That was 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. According to John Percy, the writer of the Daily Telegraph, the decision to fire Farker was the morning. They took it the morning of the game yesterday before he had that victory, ended the four-and-a-half tenure, um, and Stuart Webber says now he will lead the recruitment process. He also, by the way, has signed a new contract, or certainly agreed a new contract, with the owners of Norwich City. Quite an interesting <laughs> way for all this to end, Bobby mm. Musto. Your reaction to the firing of Farker is what? Well, I think it's two parts of it. And the first part's pretty short. It's unfortunate, the timing of it. You know, deciding the morning of the game seems a little strange to me, Rebecca. Um, they win the game. There's a sense that he already knew the celebrations were a little bit muted. Um, and it feels wrong to fire a manager when you've just got the first one in the Premier League <clears> for this season. That being said, it is the right call. And it's the right call because he's had his full cycle. And it's not many times, I think, that I feel like this is absolutely the right thing to do. We don't want to call for managers mm. to be fired. But when you've had four and a half years and you've gone through the cycle twice and the philosophy of this club is <clears throat> we're never going to overspend to stay in the Premier League. We want a manager with continuity. We're going to bring players in for, for low values and we're going to try and you know, punch our weight in the, in the Premier League. Now, it's the second time that Daniel Farkas brought Norwich back into the Premier League. Well done. I guess that's why he got a new contract in July, which now is, oops, like, too early. Um, but for the second time, Rebecca, he's not put a dent on the Premier League. He's not made an impact into the Premier League. Even though he won the Championship so convincing last year with mm. 10 points ahead of Brentford that are doing a better job right now. So if you wanted to know whether this guy can make a fist of the Premier League, part of their plan is he's got to make a better fist of it than Daniel Farker's been doing it. So I get it, I understand, it's the right call, and they'll look for somebody else now to continue. Rob? Well, I remember we were going off air, Rebecca, and, and our producers in the rear saying, he's been a sacking, and I just heard the D, and I'm thinking, Dean Smith's gone. And then after, it, it's after we've had shots of Daniel Farker, they've won the first game at Brentford, you're thinking international break, then he can kick on. And... 
again, he, he goes, and, and I agree with, with Robbie. I, I think he's had a good cycle. He's done a great job, two championship wins, but not quite up to the job. 21 games since he last won it in the Premier League before yesterday. Staying in the Premier League is everything now for football clubs, especially those who get, who get promoted. And he's a fourth sack in this season. We only had four of all of last season. That's how important and it, making sure you're in the league is. Now, the 7-0 loss to teams like Chelsea, listen, they, they surrendered that day and it's bad. But I think the lack of integration of the Billy Gilmores, of the Todd Quant- Cantmores, of the way they've played, that, that I just feel as though there's a better opportunity for Norwich to try and stay in this league. At, at this stage, everybody's almost going, well, one place is down, Norwich are gone, it, it's two others. All of a sudden, with that win and with new blood coming in, it could be that somebody could keep Norwich up and it might be, you know, three teams now all, all vying for the, those bottom three places. You mentioned a couple of names there, Billy Gilmore, Todd Cantwell, mm-hmm. they've got Temu Puki, Tim Crawley in goal. They've got good players, but are, when you look at the lineup and the squad, are this team good enough to stay up, no matter who the manager is? It's just tough to say. It's tough to say yes to that. Of the evidence we've seen so far after 10, 11 games, no. But we know the power that a manager can bring mm. and, and the change that can bring. There's 27 games left, five points to, in, to the guys that are outside the relegation zone. It's possible, absolutely. I just feel like they, they'll be careful with their appointment because they want the right guy to fit their philosophy and want to start another longer cycle. But there will be the opinion that, actually, let's yeah. forget about the philosophy for just mm. now. Let's get a Sam Allardyce, a Tony Poulos. Let's keep them up. Sam Allardyce <laughs> on the phone. And, and let me go one other, at the other st- end of his managerial career. John Terry might be an interesting one. John Terry to John Norwich. John Terry to Norwich. He is definitely wanting to start his managerial mm. career. That was a stapler, by the way, <laughs> that he just used there as a phone. Interesting stuff. Norwich looking for a new manager. And Tottenham, with their new manager, Conte, Antonio Conte, is the topic of Sunday morning's boot room. Welcome inside our studio. The two Robbies alongside Mm -hmm. me. Well, gentlemen, I think my first question is, and Robbie Earl, I'll start with you. Why Mm. do you think Antonio Conte chose Spurs when he could have waited for maybe Mm. Manchester United at some point? Maybe Manchester United at some point is an ongoing saga. Um, And with Ollie there, we talked about yesterday. We don't know if there will be a change. Tottenham Hotspur, Rebecca, have got many assets, including a great stadium, a magnificent training ground. Um, Unfortunately, on the pitch, not a great team. And I think he believes he can come to this football club and make a difference. Now, making a difference for Antonio Conte usually means trophies. Since 2011, he's won more titles than, uh, than anybody else apart from Pep Guardiola. But I think his, he believes he can enhance his reputation more than anything else by coming to Tottenham. And I know it's only an 18-month contract, and I know that, that things will have to happen reasonably quickly. But Tottenham Hotspur, I guarantee you, will be a better club when he leaves, however long that is, than the day he walked through the door. And that's why I think he's taken the job, because somewhere in his future still might be a Manchester United. There's an argument that he might not enhance his reputation because if you've managed Chelsea, <clears throat> Juve and Inter, is this a step down? Yeah, it's, uh, I would say it's his hardest job that he's had in his career. Um, I like his words when he says, I want this to be an important part of my managerial career. Like that, because I think it's going to be difficult. I think the club has tried to reset 
with Jose Mourinho. I think there's been a steady decline in the squad since the last season or so with Pochettino. He himself wanted to um, update the squad. It never really happened. And others have come in to try and fix things. Now, he is a fixer, and he'll try and do an immediate fix. But I would think that most agree there's some big changes that need to happen, Rebecca. And this isn't... I think that we will see an immediate kind of impact, immediate difference to the Spurs team. But reality is going to jump in at some point. Even in the Europa Conference game, it was there to be seen. Like, good going forward, three goals, and poor goals uh, conceded defensively. So... The changes will be needed, but I tell you, I think it's exciting that he's gone there, exciting for the Spurs fans. They're going to get answers to questions now about certain players about this team that they've wanted for a long time. Well, let's talk about these fixes. <clears throat> what does he have to fix first? First and foremost, he has to address a soft centre that runs through this football club. The Spursy situation. The Spursy that, 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 that goes out there. That was there with Pochettino and we... Think about the Champions League final when them and Liverpool were, were going for it and, and think of where the two clubs have gone. And it's almost like Pochettino took that club and the players to a certain level and maybe it was almost too close to him, wasn't hard enough. They get in the likes of Jose Mourinho, who comes with his tough love and the way he was going to do things, which looked like at first it was, it was going to work. Jose couldn't get close enough to, to, to address. Nuno comes in, Rebecca, and, and was not set up for success. That was never going to work. What I like about this guy, and some people will say he's a bit Mourinho, he's more player-centric than Jose Mourinho. He, he, he understands, and one of the things, my, one of the criticisms I have of Jose Mourinho is, sometimes because he's never played, he doesn't understand when you publicly put players out, how it feels, what that dressing room like, those relationships in there. Conte was a top-class player, and at times he tells people, but he doesn't do it in the way that, that Mourinho does, in that public shaming you way where players actually go against him. He, he can keep players on side. And I'm looking forward to, and I think this Spurs dressing room is ready for an Antonio, Antonio Conte to take them to the next level and address some of those things that we see that keep coming up for Spurs. And we keep saying, well, are they a good team? Well, can they get over the hump? Well, when he talks about his philosophy, he talks often about the word sacrifice and suffering. And he, he talks about how everything has to be honed towards your football. Nothing mm -hmm. else matters. He mm. is so blinkered, if you like, towards the football. And the story goes that into Milan, Romelu Lukaku, he changed up his diet, gave him a Mediterranean diet, his entire body shape changed, and he became a better player from where he was at Manchester United. He is so honed in on those details. How much of a shock to the system could that be? If you're a Spurs player, it's going to be a big shock. Mm. No question, it's going to be a big shock in a couple of ways. Asher Young was with him at Inter Milan. Recent interview, we run. We ran, 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 and more running. He wants them fitter, that's for sure. The shadow player that I, that I talk about with him, I've seen it firsthand when he first took over Juventus. They came to the United States for a preseason friendly. I watched training the day before I was going to commentate on the game for a different network. And I sat and watched for 40 minutes, shadow play, boring. V11 against nobody on a full-size pitch. Buffon rolling the goal, the, the ball out. You go to Licksteiner, you come inside to Perlo, you're going to go over there, then that, there's an option for you. We cross, we try and finish, we go back and start again. So weaving patterns of play to muscle memory that, that becomes... But you then do it again. Yeah. yeah, well, so the next day I do the game, and in commentary I'm like... Yeah, I've saw, I saw all this yesterday. I saw the way that Luca Toni drops the ball off and he spins and gets out wide to, to one of the wingbacks. I've, I've seen all this. So back to your point on his methods, love it. 
I love it. Now, it's boring as anything. Absolutely as boring as anything. Shadow play. Well, you go there. Remember, do that. Okay, we start again for 45 minutes and probably every other day. But you're going to see it. I guarantee in these next few games, you're going to see a pattern of play, a familiar kind of movements and patterns that he imparts. And I love it. I think it works great. What's great about that, Rebecca, and it takes me back to my career at Wimbledon team when we were playing. That's what we did. And that's what got me success. I played well, scored goals because of a system of play, because knowing that it goes to the right, I'm going to make the run, this guy. All those things are important. And if you're not a maverick, if you're not a great technical guy and all that, you need that structure. And that structure is going to be important to some of these Tottenham players who we keep saying, is he good enough or, or isn't he? And then they've got the stars, the Harry Canes, the young men's sons, possibly the Delhi others. They've got those guys who can be difference makers, but they'll have a structure that will give the individuals success. And it limits, it limits the potential errors. Yeah. Everybody's accountable, yeah. Rebecca, because you've done it a thousand times in training. Yeah. So if you're not showing up for the ball, well, if you're not playing that ball in when we've worked on it a thousand times, mm. it's obvious. And everybody else in the team goes, stop putting it in like we did in training. Yeah. It, it, it's like it, it perpetuates it. it, it, it I think it's, it's going to come out obviously mm. what this team needs. And to cut to the chase, I think it's central defenders are a problem and the middle of the park. Yeah. I think when you look at the wing-backs, Emerson Royal on the right-hand side, mm. Sergio Regalon on the left-hand side, potentially good wing-backs. The front three of Son, Kane and Lucas Moura with their pace, yeah, pretty good. Middle of the park's a concern and the three central defenders, which is the, the foundation, it's the base for this whole system, I think it's going to need to be up- upgraded. Do you think we will see an instant change in Harry Kane today? We will see an... Actually, to answer your question, yes. I think there's a respect for, for uh, Antonio Conte. I think there's an ambition to, to get back. Harry, Harry's not going to be enjoying things at the moment. Everybody's criticised. Everybody's got their, their opinion of Harry Kane. He's desperate to get back. He'd be desperate to get back to Harry Kane who's scoring goals. And Lukaku's a great example. When Romelu Lukaku left Manchester United, people always were, were telling us what he doesn't do well and what, what things of his game needs to improve. Under Conte, two seasons, 47 goals, 13 assists, whole different player. I think, having done that with Lukaku, Harry Kane's going to look at this and go, this guy can get me right back on top of my game. Interesting that when Antonio Conte was in a studio for an international tournament, he talked about Harry Kane needing to get in the box more. Less of the dropping to receive the ball and be the number 10 into the box more. The only thing I would say, right, and maybe this, I see a sluggish Harry Kane. Now, I know his mentality we've questioned, mm. but even if he's really fired up and driven to play now for this new manager, I think he's got to sharpen up. I see a sluggish, a slow Harry Kane. Now, somebody said he's got three fitness coaches, Antonio Conte, so maybe one of those three. I, I, I feel like he's, there's some work needed for Harry Kane's physical game to get back as sharp as what we've seen before, because over, the, over recent weeks, maybe there's other reasons for it. He hasn't looked himself in terms of his general sharpness on the ball. Are we going to see silverware one at Tottenham this season? We're in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Uh, the FA Cup hasn't started yet. Hasn't started yet. Oh, I mean, like a better chance than for a very long time. It'll be but a I'll target. say it'll be a target. Yeah, I mean, probably not, but they'll get close. I'm not. You know me. I'm well, more, he's gonna more say romantic on a Sunday. Let, let's give him the FA Cup. So goalless is the way it finished at Goodison Park for Rafa Benitez and for Antonio Conte. And Conte's definitely got a job on, hasn't he? Two wins in their last eight for Spurs, just the nine goals this season. They haven't scored in three straight Premier League matches. And Harry Kane, 
still today didn't look himself. Just the one goal, one assist all season. Let's hear from Antonio Conte. How concerned were you when the penalty decision was initially given before it was overturned by VAR? Yeah, but um, I haven't seen the, 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 the situation. But uh, my, my assistant coach said to me that uh, Hugo uh, touched the ball uh, before. And uh, then uh, if, uh, if the referee go to the VR and uh, uh, to watch, I think uh, uh, it's very difficult to, to make uh, a bad decision. But uh, at the end, I repeat, uh, a good game, tough game for, for, for both teams. But uh, I think in this moment, uh, for us, uh, this result is... Uh, it's good. It's good because uh, we need the point to start, and uh, we stay. We need now. We need to stay close to the four plays uh, to try to to be competitive and to fight for uh, uh, yeah to, to to close the gap uh, with this position. Couple of managerial sackings. West Ham <laughs> up to third. <laughs> Arsenal up to fifth. So boring, isn't it? It's Premier League. Um, I think before the game, Robbie, one of the things yeah. you said was it won't be a surprise no. if West Ham win. No. It's not a surprise. What is it? It feels it's still something. It's still special, isn't it's it? Special. It is special, Rebecca. And, and and as I was watching, I'm thinking why it's special. And it was one of the iconic days that, that we broadcast. It was at the London Stadium. It was a broken football club. There was unrest with the ownership group. The team weren't playing well. And remember the West Ham fan ran on the pitch and planted a flag in the middle of this thing in protest of what was going on. And that's why what's happened now is so great because we know how big this football club is. We know how much history it's got and how it wants to play football and how it wants to compete at the right end of the table. And credit to a number of people in and around the football club who've made this work. But most credit goes to David Moyes. Because he, in the last two and a half years, has united this football club, give it an identity, give them the spirit and character we talked about, and by the way, and play good football. And today, that's why I said it wouldn't surprise us if West Ham win, because that's how well they're playing. We'll get to Moyes in just a tick, but let's just take this opportunity, Robbie Musto, for anyone maybe who's fairly new to the Premier League and joining us over the last few seasons, to explain... This football club, West Ham United, when they were Upton Park and now here in East London, there's something about this football club that even the neutrals get behind them sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's a club that's had so many down periods and so many years of frustration for the fans with the owners, as Rob said, the stadium move, the stadium, this new stadium was terrible atmosphere. Pretty bouncing in there with the players celebrating like that. And I just think it's, you know, sometimes it's great to see certain clubs and certain fans actually have some joy and West Ham would be one of those mm. teams, Rob, that you, you, just, you just haven't seen that for very often. But Particularly with the manager as well, David Moyes, to continue that point. Mm. He deserves this, yeah. this uh, moment of, of joy and of success. Um, obviously, they'll, they'll hope it keeps, it keeps going. Very similar to Newcastle United in a way, Rebecca. Big clubs mm. who, who haven't had much success over time, got great history, have had great individual players, but collectively, we're now seeing success. And I think, you know, they're often many people's second team because they provided for half, yeah. half of the 1966 oh, World Cup winning team, of course, back in the day. Correct. David Moyes, do you think seeing him celebrate like that, I personally don't remember seeing him celebrate quite like that when he was Everton manager. How much do you think this is him saying, I'm proving everybody wrong? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, God, I mean, how many months and years was he out of a job looking for stuff? I thought he was going to come to the US and coach mm. in MLS for a period of time. It seemed like nobody wanted him after a couple of, uh, what, the United experience and going across to Spain and not doing a great job. 
Um, and Sunderland, just, of course, and took Sunderland, Sunderland down. Yeah, for relegation. So it, it's a great redemption story for him. And also the way he's built this team mm. and the way that the team plays. Mm. And, the, and the, the key of it to me is the, the attacking players that work their socks off to get back and defend. We saw that with Ben Rama, Fernals, Joe Bowen. Apart from the amazing protection that Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek brought in by David Moyes gives you. So he's built this team. Okay. It's interesting because Rob, Rob talks about the style of play. There's a phrase, Rebecca, the West Ham way, that used to be the way they played in the past. And that sometimes was, was, I think, a difficult thing for managers to go into. What David Moyes has created is a new West Ham way, a modern West Ham way that can still have attractive football, they can still score goals, but there's now a, a resilience, there's a structure, there's, there's a drive between the players to not give goals away. Just quickly, will it last? Can they get top four? Biggest pause of the day. Biggest pause of the day. Romantic Probably not. Your Europa, Europa yeah. League might, might hurt them. Agree? Robbie? No, I think they can do it. Okay. They can do it. I tell you, the romantic Robbies have switched <laughs> over this Sunday lunchtime. OK, let's take you back um, to East London, the scene of this wonderful victory uh, for West Ham United against Liverpool and talk to our commentary team of Graham Lasso and Arlo White. Gentlemen, back to you. There were 60,000 people here, Rebecca, who think they're in the title race, leave alone finishing in the top four. The party atmosphere here has been astonishing. We've had Sweet Caroline, we've had kids dancing in the aisles with their mums and dads. This is a very special place to be at the moment, Graeme, isn't it? And, and I asked you during the game, there are echoes of what Leicester did. I'm not saying West Ham are in the title race, but there is a togetherness about this team and a spirit that sees them through. How impressed are you? Yeah, really impressed because everything Liverpool have stood for over the last few years, West Ham matched today and they played in a different way I'm really impressed with the fact that it's it's a counter-attacking team but doesn't defend too deep and doesn't engage with the opposition we saw Manchester United yesterday trying to play with a back three and wing backs nothing wrong with that system mm. but there's everything wrong with any system if you don't engage if you're passive this isn't a passive team it's not a passive crowd they've got a lot of positivity and I think when you build all that in confidence as well you've got all the ingredients there to be really successful then you need to deliver you need mm. to deliver day to day they need to recover from the high of this they're going to be so ecstatic they've got to reset and 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 play the next game and that's what success demands if you're going to sustain a run throughout the season so of course i completely agree on this form top four is absolutely a possibility but they've got to repeat every week, reset, repeat, reset, repeat. And that takes experience, focus and, and a different sort of desire to, mm. to win games over the course of a season. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp <clears throat> won't use it as an excuse, um, but it's their first defeat in the Premier League of the season for Liverpool. Are the injuries starting, that are starting to mount up in the midfield, is it starting now to affect them? I think midfield was an area that we spoke about and, and, and definitely that lack of... Um, opportunity I suppose to, to change things to change the balance in that midfield if they need to you know Fabinho's had a knee problem he played today and he looked really short in that last 20 minutes of the game he got the runaround from Fornals a couple of times that, that cost Liverpool dearly Thiago came on didn't look that sharp when he came on so look you know, there are, there, there's no doubting they'll bounce back from this and quickly because mm. that's in their DNA mm. but that's definitely an area that rotation in midfield is something we've got to keep an eye on I think OK, Graham, talk to you again after the international break. Rebecca, this is as joyous a place mm -hmm. as I've been to in the Premier League for quite some time. Let's hear now from the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp. Well, Jurgen, the long unbeaten run comes to an end like they all do. What did you think were the reasons for that? 
Well, key moments, obviously, today. Um, I think the goals, are, <laughs> it's clear. Um, but some situations, I think, they can or have to go um, another way. So, first of all, let's talk about the game just like this. It's um, the, the goals they score. I think the first is a is a foul. So, on the goalie, now we, I don't know exactly what players um, have to do that they whistle a foul against the goalie. The arm goes against Ali's arm. So, he, how can he catch a ball when somebody kicks his um, pulls his arm away? It makes really no sense. Um, um, that was first goal. We 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 we, we, we scored the equaliser. Are fully in control of the game. Nothing really happened. They only went for a counter, which we didn't allow in the first half, and and set pieces, which we didn't have allowed too many in the first half as well. One too much, maybe. Um, second half, we didn't play um, as clear anymore as as the first half. So over the whole 90 minutes, I would have wished, or 95 minutes, I would have wished that we that we are more uh, clinical or ruthless in the last third. We didn't have enough finishes really um, over the whole 95 minutes for the for the percentage of possession we had. Um, so that's then counter-attack. They do well in these situations. They have quality in the, in the situation. And then, of course, the, the second um, set-piece, which we concede, is a, is a great set-piece, I have to say. And is in the end, very difficult to defend when the ball is taking that well. But as I said, the, the, the one, I, I really, it's, how can that happen? I just don't know it. It's then the typical um, excuse, probably, that the VR says it's not clear and obvious. I don't know what you need in the situation, and I don't know what about the Hendo situation. I saw them now back, um, Creswell. Um, not sure I will use the right vocabulary, but for me, that's a reckless challenge. And um, even when he touched the ball before, I, I really don't know. You cannot go like this. Everything can happen there. And then you say, but he touched the ball before. Yeah, but you have to control your body. So, um, two situations, obviously, that were influential in the game, let me say like this, but in the end, um, West Ham fought for the three points. They are not responsible for, for the decisions they have made or that we are made, and um, so they won the game, and that's it. How difficult are their corners to defend anyway? And I suppose particularly with the first one, is there any more your defenders can do to sort of clear the area around Allison. Is there any more Allison himself no, can no do? No player of us there, but only, there were only two players of, of West Ham. We cannot clear them. If the goalie takes them and, and puts them away, then it's probably a, a, a penalty. So what can he do? You need. That's why the goalie has is protected in moments. So and now if a, if a player goes up in the air and arm arm. That's of course not, it's not important, but for a goalie it's obviously an important uh, piece of the body and if that is knocked away, how can he make it safe? <laughs> I know people will say, um, oh God, he's, he's looking for excuses. I'm not. It's just I'm completely calm. I accept. I don't think we are too good to lose football games. No, today we lost it. That's not nice, but I accept that obviously. But when we speak about the situation in the game, then in, t- in moments you just need uh, Normal decision, not not one side, not the other side. A normal decision for 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 from a ref, and he didn't do that, and uh, that's the situation. So let's have another look at it then, Robbie L. Do you think he's got a point, or you're with Robbie Musto on this? I don't, Rebecca, and I think Ogbonna has a right to jump. He, he uses his arms. You'll see his contact there. I think Alisson gets it wrong, and I think if you look at the action of Liverpool players as the ball goes in, there's no big reaction until after they think about it. It's how Alisson goes down, but I think it's a goalkeeping mistake, and unfortunately, he's a great goalkeeper. He's had many great moments, but 
In those situations, Rebecca, you do one of two things. If you allow West Ham players be, to be next to your goalie, then when the ball comes in, he's going to have difficulty. When we played it, I as a player, I would get between that man and the goalkeeper. So there was a space. So I can keep this guy away from my goalkeeper. My goalkeeper can come and deal as with the As the ball. defender you're talking as, about. As a defender. So I'm defending. My goalkeeper can come and get the ball and I'll keep this guy away. Liverpool don't do that, and you run a risk of those kind of situations happening. Alisson has basically said, you know what, I don't want a defender in and get in the way. I'll, I'll handle a player that's around me. But Andrew Bonner is massive. He's, he's a big guy. Uh, Mikel Antonio's behind him as well. There's two players in there on the goalkeeper. And when I, uh, and Bogba, and Bogba gets his hands ready and jumps up into the air, if we looked at it a million times, there might be a little bit of contact on the arm with his arm. But this is... Contact sport. This yeah. is, well, it's yeah. first of all, it's contact sport. Jump, and also, we're looking for clear and obvious errors. You know, if the referee blows a whistle and sees that as things, and you know what, I'm not... Then, OK, but it wasn't given, and the VAR didn't even refer him to the screen... And I think there was also a moment of Alisson trying to come forward, yeah, which might have yeah. initiated the contact as well a little bit. So, you know, he went on and on, on about it. Um, well, but these are subjective. He's, he's, dis- he's it, disappointed it, because of, of, of the run. Um, I thought he was honest, he was open. I, I agree with most he said, apart from, from, from that first goal. And his team weren't quite at it today, Rebecca. The slight worry is they're conceding a few more goals than we'd expect from a team who we think is going to possibly go on to win the league. So... A little bit of work, you know, the break might have come up at a decent time for them. Okay, interesting stuff there from Jurgen Klopp. Well, David, game 1001 as a manager, 50th win for West Ham as well. Is this just a great day for all concerned with the club? It is, yeah, I have to say. Been a, it was a brilliant victory against a, a really good team. And, you know, we, we played Thursday night as well, so to come and sort of put on a performance and the energy we had to... Hanging at the end as well was, was great by the players. So how did you do it? You talked before the match about making subtle changes to your formation. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing to stop them playing through you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've seen Liverpool play recently, they've been so good with the ball and I think they've improved. And we tried to shore it up a little bit. I didn't like it as much in the first half. I didn't really like the way we played. So we done another subtle change at half-time to try and, try and alter it. And it certainly worked because we're playing the second half was great. And, you know, we, we get three goals. And, you know, maybe on another day we might have got another one or two, possibly. So can you expand on that? What did you do at half-time? No, we just, we'd played Pablo Fernal slightly different in the second half than we did in the first half. You know, we we'd thought that, you know, Liverpool had, had shown a lot of, lot in the pockets at the sides and it was hard to cover all the areas and you know the forward player dropping in so we tried to do something to, to stop it but in the second half we sort of said yeah not good enough let's let's go back to basics and and see if we can get after them a little bit more and uh, and we did but last year we we tried to do the same in the game when we lost here and and we didn't you know we 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 tried to get after them and and they just sort of picked us off at times so we had to be a little bit more patient so how hard do you work on those set pieces because you're the best at them uh, well that's that's great credit to to Paul Nevin and Kevin Nolan who are around it I give them give them all the all the credit for it they work really hard on it but I always say you know we don't we don't do loads of work on it no we don't no but it's if you've got a good deliverer and I think if you get centre half who want to head it We've been giving Kurt a lot of stick because he's not been in the in the group. All the centre halves have been getting a goal, and and uh, so we've been giving him a bit of stick. So I'm really glad he's joined the 
joined the party. He's in the good books at last. He certainly is. With the first one, did you have to temper your celebration a little bit? Yeah. You know, there are protected species. Did you yeah. think it might be? Yeah, I did given because, against you? because against Liverpool, you know, it'd be great if I could run down the run down the touchline and and slide my knees, but. Uh, Obviously, we've got probably another 60, 70 minutes to go against Liverpool, so you couldn't dare do that. And even when we went 3-1 up, I was thrilled about getting 3-1 up, but you know the opposition are so good. As they did, they got a goal back, and we defended really well, and they missed a great chance at the end, which could have made it three each. But uh, I think it might have been a bit unjust because we had two or three really good chances to, to get another goal. It's West Ham's first win over Liverpool here. What would you say about the atmosphere inside the stadium? No, I don't know if it's what I have to say about it. I think it's what everybody else will say about the, the atmosphere in the stadium. You know, when I remember the came, everybody said, you know, that the London Stadium, you know, it's it's not the same, we're not there. Look, I think everybody in football knows if you can get a team which is winning and you get people who the, the supporters see are, are running and, you know, trying and giving their all in every game, I think wherever you'll be, supporters will, will back you. And uh, the backing today was brilliant. It is true, because all the talk about the fans are miles away from the pitch. No one's talking about that. Everyone's saying what a brilliant atmosphere it is. It all comes down to a winning team. Last weekend, you said, after they beat Villa, you said they're better this year than last year, and that's hard to do. Just how hard is it to do when you've got European football? Really, really hard. I mean, he makes a great point there, and we kind of forgot about that. Thursday, Europa League, very difficult competition. You've got to re-gear for the Sunday game. And they've got better. They bought Kurt Zuma from Chelsea for $35 million. Um, I think Saeed Benrahma has already got three goals. He got one the whole of last season. You know, Pablo Fornals has turned up on a regular basis. We, if you look at them not, not very often, you might say, you know what, Mikel Antonio's a brilliant centre-forward, but other than that, they're lacking a little bit of star-attacking talent. You could say that, but not this season. They've stepped up. There's goals from different parts of the team. Thomas Suchek last year had a great season in terms of his goal-scoring. Potentially, he can go and do more of that this season. But him alongside Declan Rice, Zuma at the back, the fullbacks, Ben Johnson, young, the young fullback coming in, looks, looks a million bucks. He looks brilliant at right back. So, all credit again to the manager for, for, for enabling the motivation to be there and the work ethic to be there, and the results are coming. For me, Rob, the biggest credit is the other team in the Europa League, Leicester City, are 12th with a better squad and better players. So, David Moyes has done remarkably well to, to, to keep the consistency going over the season. Just want to take you back to Liverpool now. They're sitting in fourth position. We've heard there from Jurgen Klopp. Mm. How concerned do you think you'd be if you were a Liverpool fan? There would be some concerns. There would be some uh, a little alarm bells. Too many goals are going in, Rebecca. I think we've, got, we've had three against Brentford, two against Man City, two against Brighton, and then three today. So that's a bit of a worry. And you saw Van Dijk not happy. Some of their play isn't quite as grooved as we expect. The midfield, I know, is missing players, but, but there's still enough quality there. Um, Mane looks a little bit off. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not quite where they'd want to be at this stage for a team who you would expect will be in there fighting for it at the end of the season. It's hard to criticise Van Dijk because he made some brilliant right. tackles yeah. today. So where is it across the back line that it's not working? It's not across the back line. It's, it's, a, it's a team thing. Right. They've got the best back four right now. Everybody's fit defensively. Van Dijk's back. I thought he did some great work today defensively. Mm. We know they score a ton of goals, 31 goals, four more than anybody else. We've enjoyed the way Liverpool have gone forward. But at some point... Given the continuance here of a theme of conceding goals, there's got to, he's got to turn back the dial a little bit, maybe, and get the team to defend a little bit more. 
I mean, the goals are coming, but the, the, there's too many going in. And I think we all know over, over years and years of watching this league is that you win the Premier League title, you've got to be blimming good defensively, and they're not right now. And this kind of was, it poked his little head up a few times in, in, earlier in the season, and now it's becoming a bit of a consistent thing. I mean, West Ham and, and Brighton to concede five goals for Liverpool with everybody fit defensively, got to address it. The top four, five, six, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Every week <laughs> mm. we sort of change yeah. our minds on who's doing well. It's a very, very competitive top seven. Long may continue Indeed. till the end of the season, Lady Lowe. I mean, you know, we, a couple of weeks ago, maybe Man City, or are they quite the team? You see them dominate Manchester United and all of a sudden they... Chelsea are kind of, not plodding along, but almost like going along steadily, but nothing mm. great, but sitting top of the table, what are they, three points? Probably Arsenal. Arsenal, three, three points ahead of Manchester United. Yeah. Incredible to, to think yeah. that. And Arsenal play Liverpool in two weeks' yeah. time. If they win, they go above Liverpool. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7am Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now.